Hi, it's Chris Fanagan here. Welcome to Paediatric Emergencies. So in the last podcast, the question came up about whether we should be using cuffed endotracheal tubes routinely in all critically ill children. Um, so this is what I'm going to try and address here in this podcast. So this is a talk that I have done previously. Um, so I thought it was good to add the audio to it um, and put it out as a separate podcast. So I'm going to start off with um, what we were doing, sort of maybe going back sort of five, ten years ago. Um, And traditionally at that stage, what would have been done was that children less than about eight to ten years of age would have been intubated routinely with a non-cuffed endotracheal tube. Um, And it was really only in special circumstances, such as burns or asthma, for example, that a cuffed endotracheal tube would have been used in that scenario. And for children over sort of 8 to 10 years of age, they would have been treated similar to adults where a cuffed endotracheal tube would have been used routinely. And the thinking behind this was due to the shape of the paediatric airway. So the adult airway is uh, cylinder in shape, whereas the paediatric airway is funnel-shaped with the cricoid cartilage being the most narrow point. So the reason a cuffed, an, uncuffed, sorry, an uncuffed endotracheal tube was used in children was that um, with the cricoid cartilage being the narrowest point, that was where the endotracheal tube sealed. So you got what's called cricoid sealing rather than tracheal sealing. So that made the presence of a balloon um, below the cricoid cartilage unnecessary as you already had sealed um, at the cricoid level. Whereas in the um, adult or older child's airway, because it was cylinder in shape, you weren't going to get that cricoid sealing. So the feeling was that you actually did need a balloon um, to, in the trachea to get a good seal. So um, other reasons that um, cuff tubes were avoided um, in children was concerns regarding um, subglottic stenosis. Um, there was worry that um, blowing a balloon up um, and the trachea would cause damage to the mucosa, which would go on to cause ulceration, necrosis, and eventually subglottic stenosis. So that was the reason that an uncuffed tube was used routinely. Um, what tended to be done was the tube would be put down, um, and what you wanted was a slight leak when you bagged the child at sort of 20-25 centimetres of water. Um, if there was a leak there, it was assumed the tube was um, appropriate and that there wasn't um, significant pressure being put on the airway. However, if when you bagged the child there was no leak, um, the tube should be downsized to a slightly smaller size. However, while this was the theory behind using um, an uncuffed tube, um, uncuffed tubes did bring their own problems. Um, and I think first the big problem was that the tube exchange rate was high. Um, that's why you put the tube down. There was a massive leak. You couldn't ventilate the patient effectively, so you had to upsize the tube. Um, and some studies were quoting a rate of as high as 28% um, for a tube exchange rate. Um, for example, if you had a, a child and when you intubated them originally, they um, managed okay with um, lowish pressures. But as they deteriorated, um, the pressure you needed to exert to ventilate them would go up. 
and then um, a liquid then developed around that tube. So as that child was more unstable, you would then need to go in and upsize that tube. Um, whereas if you had a cuff tube in, um, you would avoid the need for a reintubation in a potentially unstable child. Um, the other problem was um, risk of ventilator-associated pneumonia. Um, and in theory, having a cuff um, providing a tight seal in the trachea should prevent aspiration of either gastric content or secretions um, into the lungs. Um, much better than having that um, on-cuff tube, which doesn't have such a tight seal um, in the trachea. And there was a study done um, looking at this. Um, and what they did, they looked at children being um, ventilated in the intensive care unit and looked for the presence of pepsin in the um, aspirates taken from the trachea. And what they found was that in children who had a cuff tube in, um, pepsin was present in the endotracheal aspirates in 53% of cases, whereas in children who had an uncuffed tube, it was present in 100% of cases. Um, however, the study was limited um, due to a small sample size um, and poor age matching. So other problems you can get with an uncuffed tube if you have a large leak is that it can make monitoring more difficult. Um, for example, monitoring the tidal volumes um, and the end tidal CO2. It can also cause auto-triggering on a ventilator. Um, and in anaesthesia, it can cause problems with contamination of the environment. And this also can have uh, financial uh, consequences as um, more volatile agents are needed and the leak prevents um, low flow anaesthesia. So um, going on to look at cuffed endotracheal tubes, um, they aren't without their problems as well. Um, as they're more um, complex to build, they're generally slightly more expensive than an uncuffed tube. Um, there is concerns that the um, presence of a cuff which is blown up in the trachea um, may cause pressure necrosis um, and so if you're using an on, uh, sorry, a cuff tube um, monitoring cuff pressures is mandatory so this requires uh, additional equipment that um, and additional sort of policies put in place that aren't required when you're using an uncuffed endotracheal tube um, it could be suggested why not put um, a cuff tube down um, but don't blow up the cuff unless a leak is present and that avoids all the problems with having to change the tube. Um, but that's not possible because if you actually deflate the cuff fully um, you get sharp folds in the balloon and the tube doesn't stay in one place in the trachea, it moves up and down and up and down um, and these sharp folds can then cause irritation and ulceration to the trachea itself. Um, so that in itself isn't a solution either. Um, when you're using a, a cuff tube, um, endotracheal tubes are sized um, based on their internal diameter. And adding a, a cuff to the outside actually means that you're using um, a slightly larger outer diameter tube for the same internal diameter. So what is generally done is you downsize the tube by half a size. Um, based on what you would be using if you were using an on-cuff tube. So in particularly small babies um, with conditions such as bronchiolitis or pneumonia where you're going to have problems with secretion, 
reducing that tube down by half a size can cause problems um, with actually um, suctioning or increased resistance um, although most modern ventilators will overcome the resistance and I suppose the other um, downside to cuffed tracheal tubes is that they're not appropriate for all patients um, and they're not recommended for um, children who weigh less than three kilos or for use in uh, preterm neonates. Okay, so I now want to go on and cover what has changed uh, and why we're now using cuffed tubes more frequently and why um, current resuscitation guidelines are now mentioning um, use of a cuffed tube as an option. So I think the main reason for this is that as medical knowledge increases um, and we have more information, we realise that some of the um, traditional things that we did were based on slightly flawed principles. And in particular in this case, um, the thought that if you put a tube down and there was a leak at it, um, around about sort of 20 to 25 centimetres of water, um, that actually you wouldn't be causing significant pressure um, at that delicate cricoid ring. Um, turns out that that idea was actually flawed. Um, and the reason for that is that the cricoid ring is elliptical in shape and not circular. Um, so when an endotracheal tube um, passes through the cricoid ring, um, it's certainly possible that anterior to the endotracheal tube, you can have a space. Um, so when you bag the patient, there will be a leak around the tube. But um, because the um, cricoid ring doesn't mirror the shape of the endotracheal tube, um, particularly over the posterior lateral walls of the cricoid ring, that endotracheal tube can be exerting significant pressure um, and the risk of causing um, ulceration and damage is there despite the fact that there's plenty of space anterior to that um, tracheal tube allowing a leak to be present. So the big difference with a cuffed endotracheal tube is that what you're trying to do is get tracheal sealing rather than cricoid sealing. So I've already mentioned you tend to use um, half a size smaller with an endotracheal tube. So what you should be doing is putting a tube down that um, passes through that cricoid ring um, without exerting pressure because it's actually slightly smaller. You're not trying to seal the tube in the trachea. Um, then in the trachea itself you have a balloon that is blown up um, to provide your seal there. Um, the, one of the advantages to this is now you've got a pressure that you can measure. So you can put a manometer onto the cuff and see what pressure you're exerting on the tracheal wall. Whereas with that um, uncuffed endotracheal tube, there's absolutely no way that you can um, measure the pressure that you're exerting on the cricoid ring. Um, other advantages with this is that that pressure is evenly distributed around the whole of the trachea um, rather than being exerted on certain points of the cricoid ring. Um, and as the trachea doesn't have complete rings posteriorly, it's slightly expandable, um, unlike the rigid cricoid ring 
which is um, cricoid cartilage the whole way round, including posteriorly, so is um, less distendable. So with the uh, potential advantages of a cuffed ended tracheal tube um, in the sick intensive care patient, um, they've been used much more frequently over the last five years or so. Um, so a couple of years ago I decided I would have a look and see um, what the evidence for um, using cuffed endotracheal tubes was in the paediatric intensive care environment. Um, and I found lots of studies looking at um, cuff tube use in children um, undergoing um, short-term procedures under anaesthesia. But I was really only able to find um, two studies comparing um, cuffed and uncuffed tubes um, in the paediatric intensive care environment. So um, one of these studies was done by Deakins et al. in uh, 1993 and the second study was done by uh, Newth et al. and that was done in 2004. So um, both these studies looked at um, post-extubation strider um, as their outcome um, and they found uh, no statistical significant difference between um, patients ventilated using a cuffed endotracheal tube compared to a non-cuffed endotracheal tube in the paediatric intensive care environment. But what's important to say, um, both these studies had um, very strict protocols regarding sizing of the endotracheal tube. So um, half a size smaller um, was used with a, a cuffed tube compared to an uncuffed tube for the same um, age of child. Um, so you were trying to get that uh, tracheal ceiling rather than the cricoid ceiling with the uh, cuffed endotracheal tube and uh, monitoring of cuff pressures was also used. So the next study I want to go on and look at was done by Weiss et al in 2004 um, and they looked at the shortcomings of the currently available cuffed paediatric uh, tracheal tubes um, that were available at that stage. So they looked at um, 15 um, endotracheal tubes, 11 cuffed tubes and 4 uncuffed uh, endotracheal tubes between a size 2.5 uh, and 7 um, millimeter internal diameter um, from four different manufacturers. So what they found was that the outer diameter of the cuff tubes um, varied by up to 0.9 millimeters um, for the same internal diameter um, between different manufacturers. So that's important. Like I've said already, the endotracheal tubes are sized um, based on their internal diameter. So quite a big variation between the different manufacturers. They also find that um, adding a cuff to the um, endotracheal tube increased the outer diameter by up to 1.1 millimetres, which is over two sizes of an endotracheal tube um, compared with a non-cuffed tube from the same manufacturer. So the addition of a cuff significantly added to the outer diameter um, of that endotracheal tube. Uh, and that's important because what we're trying to do is um, go down half a size so that we don't exert any pressure in the cricoid ring uh, and seal the tube in the trachea. But actually, if you're going down half a size with certain manufacturers, 
you're actually going up um, the outer diameter by um, half a size um, so you will be exerting more pressure over that cricoid cartilage. Um, the other thing they found is when they looked at all the available endotracheal tubes um, under a size 5, they found that none of the tubes um, met the standard um, of having a high volume, low pressure cuff, which has become a, a standard of care in adult anaesthesia. And what this means is that the, um, when the balloon was blown up in the trachea, it exerted all its pressure over a very small surface area of the trachea. Um, so there was higher risk of damage to that bit of the trachea rather than the high volume, low pressure cuff, which exerts its pressure over a large surface area of the trachea. So that pressure is distributed over a wider surface area and there's less risk of harm um, from the pressure from the tube. They also found that um, the tubes had the balloon too far away from the tip so that when the endotracheal tube um, was positioned at the mid-tracheal level um, the cuffs would lie at the subglottic uh, larynx or even the vocal cord level um, and this was particularly um, a problem with tubes that had um, Murphy's eyes in them. They also found that only five of the 11 cuff tubes they looked at had uh, depth markings on them. So markings to help you position the tube at the cords so that it would be at an appropriate level in the trachea. Um, the ones that did have a depth marking, they found that it was too high on the endotracheal tube. So that when that tube was inserted to the depth marking, um, the tip of the tube would be dangerously low in the trachea. Um, and quite often down at the carina or in the right main bronchus. So um, with the results of this study showing that um, all the currently available um, cuffed endotracheal tubes um, were inadequate um, for use in children, um, the microcuff endotracheal tube was developed and this was the first um, endotracheal tube that was designed specifically for the paediatric airway. So the important design features it had, it had a very short distance between the balloon and the tip of the endotracheal tube um, without the presence of a Murphy's eye. Um, the balloon um, had a high volume, low pressure cuff in it, and then it had an appropriate um, gap between that balloon uh, and the depth markings so that that balloon was away from the vocal cords. Um, and the depth markings were positioned at an appropriate level um, for the paediatric airway. It's also important to say that the balloon was made from a new material um, that was about a fifth as thin as the traditional materials that the balloons were made from. So this meant that it was able to um, seal at much lower pressures. And in fact, um, when the company studied it, they found that the microcuff tube sealed at an average pressure of 11 centimetres of water. Um, some of the other tubes that they um, looked at in that traditional study, um, comparing the um, 11 cuffed endotracheal tubes, um, the tubes in that study sealed um, at pressures 
of uh, 36 centimeters of water and 34 centimeters of water. Um, and when we know capillary perfusion pressure in adults is somewhere between uh, 27 and 40 centimeters of water, and in children it's obviously going to be much less than that, there would be concerns that these sort of high pressures um, would cause um, ulceration and necrosis in the trachea. So the microcuff tube was used in um, one of the largest uh, randomised controlled trials of cuffed versus uncuffed endotracheal tubes in children, um, importantly undergoing anaesthesia. So we can't apply this directly to um, kids in the intensive care environment. So this study was um, conducted by Wiesa et al. in 2009 and it looked at over 2,000 children um, between the age of um, birth and five years um, who were having a general anaesthetic in over 24 um, European centres. Um, they had a good mix of um, children who were intubated with a cuffed and an uncuffed endotracheal tube and they found um, no statistically significant difference in the post-extubation strider rate um, with 4.4% of children with a cuff tube having post-extubation strider and 4.7% of children with a non-cuff tube having a uh, post-extubation strider. But what they did find that was interesting was that the tube exchange rate was significantly less with cuffed endotracheal tubes at 2.1% uh, compared to 30.8% um, with uncuffed endotracheal tubes um, and they found that the average pressure required to um, seal the microcuff tube was 10.6 centimetres of water. So um, while this was certainly the largest study looking at cuff versus uncuffed tubes in the paediatric uh, patients, there are some limitations to this study. Um, firstly and foremostly, um, this looked at short-term use of an endotracheal tube in children going, undergoing anaesthesia. So we can't apply the results of this directly to the long-term use of a cuffed endotracheal tube in the paediatric intensive care environment. They used um, post-extubation strider as a marker of airway injury um, and the uncuffed camp would argue that um, this in itself isn't enough and the only way to know if you're causing an airway injury is to actually have a look down um, the airways of all these children. So this is a study you're never um, going to be able to do. Um, another important point is that the lead author in the study um, was involved in the development of the microcuff tube. So there is a conflict of interest there. But um, when you look at his original study in 2004, um, showing how inadequate all the currently available um, endotracheal tubes were for the paediatric airway, you can see why they've gone on to develop this new microcuff tube. It's also important to note that while in theory the microcuff tube has a number of advantages over um, traditional cuffed endotracheal tubes, um, we don't have any studies comparing um, standard cuff tubes versus microcuff tubes in paediatric patients. Um, and we also don't have any studies looking at um, microcuff tubes when pressures greater than 20 centimetres of water are used um, to seal the balloon in the trachea.
Okay, so I just want to go on and try and sum things up. So I think there is good evidence that um, cuffed endotracheal tubes reduce the tube exchange rate um, with no increase in um, post-extubation strider, um, both in the anaesthetic and the PICU population. Um, but whether um, post-extubation strider can be used as a marker of airway injury is still uncertain. In theory, um, microcuff tubes should offer um, a number of advantages over the standard cuffed endotracheal tubes that were traditionally used and have been shown to be um, inadequate for the paediatric airway, although we don't currently have any studies comparing the two of them in the paediatric patients. Um, what is important, particularly from the two PICU studies that I've mentioned, is that if you're going to use cuffed endotracheal tubes, you should use an appropriately sized endotracheal tube so that it is half a size smaller and it should pass through the cricoid without sealing and seal with the balloon in the trachea. And that if you're going to use a cuffed endotracheal tube, you should be monitoring cuff pressures. So I want to go on and mention my own um, personal preference and uh, interpretation of the current evidence. Um, so my personal preference would be to use um, a cuffed endotracheal tube electively um, when intubating a critically ill child. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that. Firstly, um, I would much rather have a pressure that I can monitor via the cuff than have a pressure exerted on the cricoid ring that I can't measure. Secondly, I don't want to be going back to have to upsize the tube when the patient deteriorates and develops a leak around their endotracheal tube. I want to put the tube down once and leave it down uh, and that's something that the cuffed endotracheal tube allows me to do. And finally, I've been doing a little bit of work on unplanned extubations in the paediatric intensive care environment, which I'm awaiting publication on. And that study has shown that the presence of a cuff on the endotracheal tube uh, produces a statistically significant reduction in the risk of unplanned extubation. So a number of reasons for using a cuffed endotracheal tube. Obviously, I don't have the ability to do that in a preterm neonate or in a child less than three kilos. So in those children, obviously uh, an uncuffed endotracheal tube will be what I'll use. Um, another really important point for me, um, the only cuffed endotracheal tube that should be used is a microcuffed tube. Um, although there's no evidence for um, this opinion, um, I think the study by Weiss et al in 2004 outlining how uh, inadequate the other tubes are um, is enough for me um, to say that actually we should invest a little bit more money in a microcuff tube and use that tube specifically designed for the paediatric airway in our critically ill children. The other uh, big advantage to the microcuff tube is that it actually has the appropriate age that each tube should be used at, um, written on the back of the packaging, similar to what you would find on laryngeal mask airways. So this should help encourage um, appropriately sized cuff tubes being used. Finally, I want to say if you are using cuffed endotracheal tubes, you must monitor cuff pressures. 
all the studies that were done showing that they were safe to use um, monitored cuff pressures. So if you can't monitor cuff pressures, you shouldn't be using cuffed endotracheal tubes. Okay, so I hope that was useful for you. I'll put all the references into the show notes. And if you have any questions or queries, um, please get in contact with me. Thanks for listening.